Do you like the feeling of power you have as a newspaper proprietor of being able to sort of formulate policies for a large number of newspapers in every state of Australia? Well, there's only one honest answer to that, of course, and that's yes. Of course one enjoys the feeling of power. The newspaper can create great controversies, stir up uh, arguments within the community, discussion, it can throw light on injustices, just as it can do the opposite. It can hide things uh, and be a great power for evil. It's not a perfect system, obviously, but can you think of a better one? Hello and welcome to episode 20 of Murdocracy, a podcast that keeps an eye on the news and influence of News Corp, the most influential media company in the Western world. I'm Cam Wilson. And I'm Sammy Shaw. Hey, Sammy. You know, usually we do a kind of uh, a light-hearted kind of intro, but it hasn't been a very light-hearted week. How are you going? Um, look, it's been interesting to kind of see the reactions online and everything. I mean, the actual coverage of it has been excellent. There's, you know, you can watch all the news channels and, and, and some, there's some fantastic... I know a couple of reporters in Ukraine right now, guys I've worked with back in Pakistan who now work for TRT or something. And the stories oh, really? they've wow. got... To, yeah, the stories they've got to tell have been pretty fascinating so far and the coverage and everything. But it's also... It's crazy. We just got past omicron like it is one it's a it's a hack point that (laughs) everyone's making but can we catch a breath (laughs) like what is going on yeah it's um it's 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 really really crazy i I just like yeah i I find it kind of hard to comprehend and just the idea of you know invasions in in 2022 i know know. to me is is just um yeah it's bonkers and like I don't know. I'm pretty good at like compartmentalizing and not being too stressed out by things. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, I, I just I, I for the last couple of days have been unfortunately, uh, you know, stuck more than usual to my like social media feeds and seeing everything that's happening. Yeah. One kind of thing I think that is is kind of interesting that I've noticed. So I don't know if you've noticed this as well. Is that you know the, where they talk about how in like with social media everyone becomes a journalist because mm-hmm. you know, everyone can film something you know technically you know reported out or whatever and you know you can you can share information on social media it's interesting that things are kind of also happening from the opposite end where now everyone is kind of like their own almost like an an editor of their own like news feed or their own news gatherer because we're all like oh cool like what's happening here maybe i'll look at like the the ukraine hashtag maybe i'll go through and look at you know i'll search for like russia in tiktok maybe i'll um, you know, try and like find stuff myself and, you know, even verify stuff that you see online yourself. I think, you know, for increasingly is like a, a kind of normal instinctive reaction mm-hmm. rather than just mm-hmm. being a passive news consumer. There's a, a really interesting scenario created by Neil Stevenson. He's a science fiction author and he's uh, got a book called Fall. Um, it came out a couple of years ago. It's an okay book, but there's a nice, uh, you know, there's a couple of interesting things in there. The first one is there's a whole, um, you know, uh, event news event that happens where a, a nuclear bomb explodes in a small town in middle of uh, middle america it's a massive story and everyone's talking about it the whole world's affected by the story and it turns out the enti- entire story was faked purely on social media so the you know the idea that you can have something like that a fake event that ripples out in the real world um isn't interesting but the thing i really liked in it was that people basically hire editors who curate their social media feeds so you for example and i would subscribe to an editor who basically makes sure that all the algorithms and everything and all our social media feeds are providing certain verified verifiable news sources and nothing else appears in our feeds and everyone has different editors that they subscribe to like curators of content um and i thought like that's something that we might end up seeing at this point given that we're all doing that job ourselves anyway it's eventual that we're going to hand it on but the other thing is um we're seeing all this information coming out. The thing that I keep thinking is every time someone on Twitter goes on about uh, this is what I think about Ukraine, they should first have to pinpoint Ukraine on the map. Like, I want to know that they know where Ukraine is before, <laughs> before I yeah, have yeah. to take anything seriously. And also, you know, ask them, uh, how do they find time to become such an expert on Ukraine, considering they've just been studying uh, epidemiology. Um, and so incredible that they can yeah, change yeah. expertise so quickly. <laughs> Um, exactly yeah there's like everyone is an expert at everything and therefore there are no experts you know no uh, and it's uh, neil stevenson if i'm not mistaken he's also the guy who invented so, the like, concept you know, there, there's of a lot of ideas he has which in 10 15 years become reality and i really think the curated social wow. media field yeah. field is 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 one that we might end up seeing 
Yeah, that's so interesting. So on to what we're talking about today. In a little bit uh, after we cover the News Corp News of the Week, mm-hmm. we're going to have a look at a, um, a pretty handy um, uh, graph that was put together um, that looked at all of the newspaper endorsements that have happened pretty much in, in essentially Australian modern history, looking at who newspaper uh, owners and I guess editors decided to say, this is the person that we think should you know be form government for the next election. Uh, unsurprisingly, there's some pretty interesting uh, aspects of it, particularly to do with News Corp. So we'll be looking into that. Um, but, you know, as always, just, you know, the, our standard housekeeping, which is we're loving doing this. Thank you to our, um, our Patreons who, or patrons, I guess, who are contributing to our Patreon uh, to support us doing this. And if if you like what we're doing, uh, we appreciate the support. It's uh, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash murdocracy, M-U-R-D-O-C-R-A-C-Y. All right, shall we get mm-hmm. into it? Let's do this. On Friday night, Australian media held its annual awards uh, ceremonies, the Walkleys. News Corp was a big winner on the night. Sam Maiden, who's the political editor of news.com.au, took out the big gong, the gold Walkley, plus uh, our Walkley for the coverage of major event or issue for the Brittany Higgins story that she broke. Uh, they also had the best scoop of the year for the Anom Files with uh, uh, Ellen Winnett. I don't know if you remember that, but that mm-hmm. was the story about how the AFP uh, were one of the crime organisation to essentially set up a supposedly encrypted app that was used by criminals, uh, but actually it turns out that, you know, essentially they were CCing all these uh, encrypted messages to the, the law authorities, so th- uh, very convenient for them. Uh, and also they they did well in sports journalism and a few photography awards too. Uh, nine papers did well. Uh, Nick McKenzie and Joel Tozer were the probably standouts who took home some awards for their expose on Australian neo-Nazis. And kind of interestingly, something I noticed was that the ABC probably didn't do as well as they'd hoped. Mm-hmm. Um, they usually do quite well, but in particular, a, a noticeable uh, 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 shutout was Louise Milligan, who uh, was kind of doing stuff on the Canberra bubble story, which was, you know, the Christian Porter um, allegations before the, um, uh, uh, you know, r- a rape allegation, which mm-hmm. he denies. Um, there's the stuff about, you know, the Canberra culture that really was kind of set the conditions for all this. Uh, she didn't, she didn't win anything either. And, and in a few other categories, uh, also <laughs> one other big shout out, uh, me, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, 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 I lost my category, uh, which was, uh, look, you know, I'm, you know, you win some, you lose some. Uh, I've done my losing. Maybe I'll do some winning in the future. Well, no. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not too so heartbroken. Let, let's but... talk about the category first. Which category you were okay. you were nominated in? And and you really did try sure. to kind of game the the system to to get yeah. that nomination. It was very impressive. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I'm not that heartbroken because I, I if if I'm being a hundred percent honest, I didn't feel like uh, I did a great act of journalism that was snubbed. So I was in this category called uh, it's it's for the award for uh, headline. Uh, scoop a hook and so the whole point is to um you know award people who've done something that is a a good job at enticing people to read or listen or watch whatever they've done Mm -hmm. um and and it's been going for years and years uh and you know you can do anything from an instagram caption to a tweet to a newspaper headline but what i noticed is when i was looking at this a few years ago when i first paid attention to the awards was that um every year without fail the person who won and even just all the finalists were just newspaper sub-editors who'd done like really punny headlines. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't like, I mean, I personally I have an ideological thing about newspaper pun headlines because I think personally <laughs> that they tend to be like, I, I get what they're funny, you know. I, yeah. I love a good I love a good pun and it, it, is, it is clever when you can do it well. But often like I don't think they do their job of being like, uh, you know, of being a headline that well because, you know, at its core, a headline is supposed to coax people in. It's supposed to convince them to yeah. read the article. Well, a pun often doesn't really make sense unless you've you've read it, particularly some of the more tortured ones. But you know, knowing this, having you know seen the Matrix crack the code, I was like, I, I, I just before the Walkley Award deadline, I went and looked through some of my um, news pieces that I'd written uh, last year. I chose the ones that would work the best with some terrible puns that I could just think up on the spot. Mm-hmm. Um, some really, really tortured ones. Like they were. They're like I did one about the, one of my stories was about um, house a, a change was affecting the Australian uh, or the Queensland tattoo community. And I think I called it like a hit for tat, like just just really, <laughs> really, really bad stuff. 
Um, but it, it, it worked, you know, I, I, I ended up being uh, nominated. So, you know, very grateful to be nominated. Yes. And, and you know, like I, I wrote a piece about it. And in, in the piece about I was like, you know, this is what I did. I kind of wrote a, you know, I, I don't hate the player. I hate the game. You know, I, I don't I don't begrudge any of the people who were nominated or have won in the past. In fact, you know, the you know, they're just those are the rules of the game and they've done well. And the, the winner who was from nine papers, uh, you know, congratulations to her. This is like, you know, sour grapes or anything. But, you know, in my heart of hearts, it wasn't like I was deeply devastated that, like, you know, my article about Ivermectin that I tweeted out with a caption called, like, straight from the horse's mouth. <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not devastated that that didn't, like, win me a, a walkway. <laughs> but you make a really good point, by the way, about the effectiveness of headlines and whether or not puns. Because, you know, the puns are always the things that win. And it seems like it's a, it's a, it's a glorious award for sub-editors more than anything else. However... If we want to talk about actual effectiveness, then the Daily Mail is the only outlet which should win this award every year because their headlines, which are basically giant summaries of the whole story with all mm, the possible mm. keywords in to make sure Google Analytics and Facebook Analytics, you know, really you know push the story high, are way more effective at getting people to read the article than anything else. They, I mean, they, they've yeah, really yeah, got no, it down to a science. No, no, totally. I mean, like, that's the thing. I think if, if you are like, I mean, that's kind of the reason that, it, you know, I, I wrote something about it and, and, and felt, mm-hmm. you know, okay, trying to gain the system. Because I was like, you know, the point of a journalism award and, and, you know, any awards for that kind of thing is to try and encourage good habits. You know, you reward yes. someone who's done something well. And, um, you know, like a good headline in 2022 is not a pun because it probably doesn't yeah. do that well on search engine optimization. Maybe it's not super shareable. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it, it may not even, you know, fit well, you know, when it, like when, you, when it's posted on, on Facebook versus, you know, Instagram or like whatever. Um, you know, I think probably, you know, like the, the headline that should win every year should be something like, you know, the AFL grand final, what time is it? Who's playing? And like, you know, what are the rules? Cause that, that's the things that actually yeah, or, get people or in. Like, you, you won't know, believe what this is, this D-list celebrity yeah. said at a yeah. dinner party yesterday, yeah. you know? Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was, um, it, it is interesting. And I like, I'm, I'm not going to extrapolate too much. Mm. I, I know there are some people who have I mean, look, in, in any award ceremonies, there's always people who say, oh, that, you know, certain awards aren't, you know, given out to the right people. But I, I will actually like, I'm, I'm not going to say this in, in, in a critical way, but I will point out something interesting that I'm not sure many people know about, which is that I mentioned, uh, so Scoop of the Year, so that's supposed to yeah. be a big story of the year that I mentioned just before, that News Corp one about the Anom app. So mm-hmm. that encrypted app that was um, yeah, set up by the AFP. What's quite interesting is that I know for a fact that that story was what's known as a drop, which we've talked about in the right, past. Right, exactly. When, when, when police, you know, or, or anyone, but in give, this case, police. Give the story basically to the journalist. Give a story. Yeah. Exactly. Give a story to someone. And, and, and you know, sometimes it's because they have a really great relationship, but often it's because, you know, you work for X publication and that's a big publication and that's the people we want to reach. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, you know, that's why, you know, when something happens uh, that the government all of a sudden wants to have some kind of conversation about, you know, for instance, asylum seekers. That's why you'll see all of a sudden coverage of a, yeah. of a new ship arrival that's supposedly, you know, top secret end up in the Daily Telegraph because that, they're like, that's the audience I want to receive, uh, I want to um, speak to. And that's the people who I think will give me the best coverage. Mm-hmm. Now, like, I, look, you know, congratulations to um, Ellen who, who won it. And obviously, you know, she wrote and did a great job. And it, it was literally like an international story. Like it was covered yeah. around the world. But it but wasn't I, investigative I, journalism. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I FOI'd um, the, the the police uh, uh, briefing, mm-hmm. uh, uh, w- what they were giving to prepare the AFP to talk about this. Because I was kind of curious. I'm like, you know, this is uh, something the AFP want to show off. They're like, look how technologically able we are. Look at these big arrests. You know, we're doing such a good job of cracking down on <clears throat> crime and, 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 you know, drug use and all that stuff around the world. So, you know, this was a big moment for them. And so I was like, I'm kind of curious to see what questions that they were sensitive about and, you know, what answers they had. And one of them was that they literally had a question that was that was supposed to answer what if someone asked you, I'm paraphrasing here, but what if someone asked you about why you gave this specifically to the Herald Sun mm-hmm. and not, you know, for instance, the ABC or the Guardian or, or whoever. 
And the reason was because, you know, it was a short answer, but it just said, you know, for strategic purposes, as in it suits us best. Yes. But that is, you know, literally proof that, you know, in there that they prepared and, and were even sensitive about the idea that, like, you know, they decided to control the narrative and, and you know, be very, very careful about who gets it, not giving it to everyone at the same time, but just to the one publication. I mean, yeah, I mean, that, that was the story that ended up getting scoop of the year. And like, you know, whether, whether you think that's right or wrong, you know, I'm sure the judges didn't know the background that I did. But the, people do kind of, you know, do get a little bit funny about these awards sometimes and, and you know, I the mean, different ideas of what is good journalism. And I understand that. And yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, it's a, it's a point of contention. Yeah, look, it is an award ceremony at the end of the day. And awards will always be mm. controversial and who judges them and on what basis they judge, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, the fact that the ABC didn't do well, well at all this year, it could very well just be down to the fact that the ABC budget cuts have been hurting them for so long. No wonder they don't have in money to invest in new journalism stories that are award worthy. They're just probably focusing on other stories. or they just had a bad year you know there, there's many different yeah reasons. exactly um exactly we also you, just get, you just get bait you know you if you want to look at a trend you i, exactly. I don't think you can really draw something from one year and and to be fair the abc they still did get you know like they, they, they didn't get like shut out altogether there no. were like other kind of smaller awards but in terms of the big the big stuff um yeah they they, they were kind of uh shut out of that i think largely the, la- the, the the real question i have is you were there right in person yes. I've never I was there been, in person. I've never been, nor probably will I ever be. Let's be real here. Um, oh, what is it Sammy, like? Don't count yourself short. Unless they have a, a new satire podcast section, I don't think I'll be making it across. But what's hey, it they've like? They've got best headline. I, I don't think that's that far off. <laughs> <laughs> what's it like? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting. So, I mean, it was it was a big do. It was uh, it was at the Sydney's ICC Center, which is like how's a big the food. Record. Food was uh, I had I, I, honestly it was it was awful. I had a, a really unenjoyable meal. I had a very rubbery and cold chicken uh, that I didn't enjoy in the slightest. But uh, look, that that's me. I got a free ticket because I was nominated, so I can't mm-hmm. complain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, like these big conference centers, I guess that kind of t- tough. Um, but yeah, and it was, how it was many interesting. how many journalists would you think based on a percentage were doing coke in the bathrooms? <laughs> I was uh I was I was keeping an ear out for that. So um yeah, pe- people would remember that um I think it was Mark DeStefano when he was mm-hmm. at BuzzFeed famously wrote about uh being I think he was offered uh Coke he, he says by a uh union rep. Mm-hmm. Uh n- that didn't happen to me. Uh mm-hmm. maybe I haven't been paying my dues long enough, but Basically, you know, I, I pay yeah. my membership. Yeah yeah, 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 I contribute. Uh no, I mean look, I, I saw everyone being pretty well uh behaved. Maybe mm-hmm. I was uh, you know, I had a few drinks, so I probably wasn't the most observant kind of state of right. mind. But it, it, look, I, I don't know. Like it, it, it uh, yeah. I, there's definitely like a kind of quickiness in a sense in terms of like the big, I think publications. But that that's not like you know I yeah, would never talk normal. to X person. Is more just like you know these are the people I know. And yes, I do. I I haven't been to other ones, but I I did think there was like a you know a pretty nice vibe considering that um you know, people haven't been able to see each other for a long yeah. time. And, and I think this, I'm not sure that they had last year's in person. So this was, this was kind of nice. Uh, look, I, I'll be honest with you. Some of the self-congratulatory stuff that sometimes happen at, at these things, I mean, it, it, it it's gets to me. And, and, Absolutely. And, 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 and that's my kind of like, you know, that's my contrarian streak in me, which I think a lot of journalists have. That's mm-hmm. why they're journalists. You know, like I, I do this, journalism because i think i'm trying to do something interesting you know make change but also sometimes the self-congratulatory stuff can you know Mm -hmm. i think get a little bit much but you know that's the point we're supposed to be there celebrating us for one night i I think journalists often celebrate themselves so but i think at least for one night it's fine um yeah, I don't yeah. know, you know. All right. Didn't, yeah. didn't, didn't really have that much much cost there. I think everyone was kind of well behaved. Very, very disappointing indeed. Mm, mm. All right. On to the next story. Now, I mean, we talked about this just before. Mm. It is the biggest story in the world. And it's been, you know, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Uh, that is the biggest story unless, of course, <laughs> you are Sky News Australia. And then according to them, the real threat is a much more universal one. Mm-hmm. One that prob- might even affect us a bit more here at home in Australia. And that is cancel culture. ABC's Lauren Beldy took a photograph on Thursday night, uh, I believe of, of, of the newsroom, it may be the Melbourne ABC newsroom, of, of four uh, televisions where they had CNN, APTN, which I think is a Canadian uh, a television network, mm-hmm. Reuters, and Sky News Australia. And I believe it was it was during some kind of official statement by Ukraine, might have been their address to the Security Council. Uh, and so the first three, CNN, APTN, and Reuters, were all taking it live. Sky News, on the other hand, 
had Piers Morgan talking about cancel culture. Yes. Uh, there were a few other moments that also jumped out as well when I was looking through some of their social media stuff. You know, on Friday morning, so this is literally after, you know, the fighting had broken out, you know, that there were Russian troops killing Ukrainian people and vice versa. Um, there was the Sky News published an interview with uh, a, a one of their GB news correspondents, which is that kind of new pop-up organization mm-hmm. um, in, in the UK. And it was titled, Canada is more authoritarian than Russia right now. Uh, and that's obviously relating to these freedom protests. Uh, right. And then there was another video that came out, Biden probably sleeping as Russia launches special military <laughs> operation. Sammy, I, I'm I'm really curious. Before all this, would you have thought that these culture wars would have stopped for an actual war? Um, no, I I definitely did not <laughs> think that they would ever stop for an actual war. In fact, we know like from history and a lot of these things are used to heighten culture wars definitely and because everyone then can use their side to say look we warned you about this i didn't go to the sky news um uh, youtube channel to check that out during the during the entire breakout of the war when you know when putin was making his announcement and then after that when the ukrainian president made his announcement and the tanks rolled into ukraine i was on the sky news page hitting refresh because i was doing research for my own podcast and you're right. The biggest, the front, the top story at the time on their face, on the YouTube page, sorry, was Pierce Morgan wants to cancel cancel culture. It was Andrew Bolt oh, yeah. talking about some um, woman in America who put a tweet out, you know, calling Putin an old white man. And therefore, look at this, you know, some random woman in America on Twitter with 15 followers is responsible for um, race and racism, as opposed to, you know, let's focus on this massive global issue over here. Uh, it's very much them saying, look, at, look, we warned you about this. That, you know, if, if you focus on cancel culture, Putin will walk into Ukraine. Um, meanwhile, we've also got things like Steve Bannon. I don't know if you saw that clip uh, talking about how Putin is anti-woke oh, yeah. and therefore so cool. Um, and, and, you know, we've got all of these different things. The, we're just going to see more of that. We're just going to see more and more of people using the, the invasion to kind of justify their points of view in their personal cultural battles. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I... Um... I, I was kind of curious. There was, a, there was a lot of this stuff. And this wasn't Sky News. This was, I think, this was partly Sky News, but more kind of like mm-hmm. global uh, right-wing culture warriors were, were really all circled around this argument that like the West, like uh, it was all like other, it was a half joke, but also mentioned about how like the West had been, you know, too long obsessed with things like diversity or like knowing what someone's mm. pronouns are to be prepared for war. Which I just found to be so like such a ridiculous and like just just such a, a honestly like a pretty bit of a pathetic argument and, and you know very very glib, mm-hmm. but then I kind of re- I kind of realized why that I think a lot of people uh, who believe that kind of stuff had um, kind of circled around that specific argument, and that's because like you know if you're in this kind of like Sky News after dark opinion space where you're like rah rah Trump you know Joe Biden is terrible you're also kind of, you know, really in this kind of nationalist, like, you know, military uh, power, you know, I'm, I'm all about that. We've got to be strong, et cetera. The difference between the US when Trump was in power and and when Joe Biden in power, uh, is in power now, when it comes to the military is not really that much, you know, no. it's not like Joe Biden has been like, okay, like, you know, snap my fingers, let's get yeah. rid of the military. And, you know, the only people will be able to serve are like the LGBT community or something, you know, ridiculous. Like it's exactly the same. Mm-hmm. So knowing that you can't really argue that the US has like, you know, militarily in terms of its power has gotten weak in terms of infrastructure, people, all that kind of stuff. So you've got to find a different way to kind of essentially argue that something's gone wrong. And their argument is just that, you know, people are too woke. And for some reason, that's, you know, essentially, you know, made people impossible, to, uh, made it impossible for the US to protect the world or whatever. It's just like... I don't know. I always, yeah. I always think yeah. back to um, Gerard, Hen- uh, uh, Gerard Henderson, um, yep. who writes for the Australian. Um, years and years ago, I was, uh, you know, before I, I, I started working more in Australian media, I was a guest on the breakfast uh, show on ABC TV's breakfast show, and this is, oh. uh, this is like the, I think the day before the U.S. election in which Trump won, and they asked me, they're like, you know, you know, what do you think Trump is thinking right now? And as a joke, because they had me on to do comedy, I said, oh, I think he's scared out of his mind that he might win. 
um, that is a man who didn't does not want to win the election. And it was just a, <laughs> it was just a dumb joke, whatever. Gerard Henderson took great offense to that. He brought up that quote, I think, seven times in different articles. And he always said, you know, so-called comedian, which is one of those things people love saying about comedians, so-called comedian, Sammy Shah. So funny. Um, uh, <laughs> so-called comedian. And then, and then he goes, um, tries to say an alpha male like Donald Trump. And I was like, that coming from Gerard, who is the epitome of a beta, um, is really quite funny. And there is this whole thing in this right-wing community, which is, or, you know, far right, etc., which is they're obsessed with masculinity. And you can see it in the way Trump was masculine and Joe Biden is effeminate. And then and now mm. and uh, Putin's masculinity has never been in question. And, you know, he's not caught up in the culture wars. I mean, he is caught up in the culture wars. He literally has kept you know gay marriage outlawed. And there's laws in Russia still preventing anything that's called the promotion of homosexuality for which people mm. get prosecuted. Um, so there is uh, all of those things happening as well. But there's the idea that Putin's Putin's a man's man and men's men don't yeah. worry, but men's men invade, you know, Ukraine. And you can kind of see it where you, when you tune into something like Fox News, where you see, uh, I think Kevin Rudd had actually tweeted this out even, of Tucker Carlson, um, America's bow tie wearing weirdo. Um, he's he's literally is he's like if you took all the young liberals in Australia and kind of put them into a smoothie, they'd become Tucker Carlson when you pour it out. Mm -hmm. And oh, yeah. and Tucker Carlson going on about how amazing Putin is and how this is purely justified in Putin's point of view and how he deserves to be able to walk into Ukraine. And it's not surprising then that that the the right wing side of media and politics has embraced this more than you think they would. The patriotism isn't as important to them as the adherence to masculine ideals. Yeah, no, no, you're right. I, I, for me, it was kind of interesting that I, I didn't see in Australia really any support of Putin. Like, mm. you know, you, you have actually seen in parts of the US and, and you know, Tucker Carlson has kind of been, uh, uh, he's been like, you know, arguably more pro-Putin than kind of like anti-US. Yes. Or like, whereas this, you know, other mindset is very much like, you know, down on the kind of US, US as well, mm -hmm. which is just like anyone who was, uh, you know, around during the Cold War must be like scratching their head about how, you know, the the, the riot, which was so anti-commie, anti-Russia, has now done this massive flip in the last few years. It's, um, it's uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Very confusing. <laughs> now, um, this is a little thing to watch out for. I I'm, I'm kind of curious about this. Mm -hmm. Didn't get much attention. News Corp has hired its first ever head of e-commerce, Adam Cron, who was a former Kogan senior executive. Welcoming the announcement, News Corp Australia CFO Michael Ford said, audiences are increasingly purchasing online and looking for confidence, convenience, and speed of transaction in the type of trusted environments we provide, suggesting that they'll be trying to, you know, use some of their media properties to, you know, sell things directly to people more mm -hmm, often. Mm -hmm. Sammy, if if Peter Credlin was on your TV recommending you something, would you buy something from her? Do you trust her, you know, her, her opinion on these things? Honestly, I kind of do. Because uh, Peter Credlin is is clearly rich and uh, <laughs> and knows how to buy good stuff. I can guarantee you. Look, I bought two shelves from Kogan uh, oh, yeah. about a month, two, a few months ago now. One of them is completely crooked, and the other one is significantly smaller than the advertised size. And <laughs> and and so you know what? If Peter Credlin, I bet she knows where the good shelves are. I know. I bet Peter Credlin does not have the problem with her shelving systems that I do. So I will happily take advice from Newscope's elite on where to buy and what to buy because clearly they know how to spend money well. And I mean, look, if 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 they've got the guy from Kogan who's convincing mm -hmm. you to buy things, I mean that's the important part. They didn't, I guess, hire the, yeah. the Kogan person who was building the the shelves or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I mean, look, this is um. Uh, this is one to keep an eye on because you know e-commerce has become really a backbone of a lot of um, digital publishing in places like the US. So there's a news website that I use all the time, which is called Wirecutter, which just mm -hmm. tells the like the world's best reviews. They were bought by the New York Times because you know they kind of do this thing where they just do such incredible reviews that you, like you know I wholeheartedly trust them, and they're like you know like we'll take we'll, we'll put in amazon affiliate links for whatever we think is best but you know it's always like we did 300 hours yes uh, of testing on like this mouse pad and we can tell you that this is by far the best in the world and by you know building up that trust they can then say well you're going to probably buy now because you trust us and we make mm -hmm. some money out of that 
Um, it does sometimes get kind of into uncomfortable areas potentially because there is a incentive for publishers to encourage things because if you encourage it, someone buys and you get something. Yes. So like you can almost make, you know, almost like fanboy culture out of like buying things. That being said, like, you know, like News Corp has been very innovative in terms of the digital sense. And uh, we both know that they are, have been very good at finding ways to make money. I would not be surprised if we look back in a couple of years and be like, wow, this is actually quite a big hire. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I had to buy an air purifier recently. It was very difficult because I spent a lot of time Googling the best brand, the best affordable brand, the best affordable brand available in Australia, the best affordable brand available <laughs> works with cats. And honest to God, if I could have just had Andrew Bolt recommending it for me, I would have oh, yeah. it at the time. Oh, and we, we know that Andrew Bolt likes to keep things pure. So. <laughs> 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 anyway, uh, we'll go before we can have any more uh-huh. defamatory imputations yes. made out of that. Uh, and hey, this is an update on last time. Um, so we spoke last week about the dueling reporting um, on the grill, former Grilled CEO who was filmed uh, smoking a meth pipe and doing other kind of crass things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was a kind of, there was this curious case where there was these dueling narratives that came out between the Australian's investigation uh, editor, Sherry Markson, and Nine Papers' Chip Legrand. Uh, Sherry Markson had kind of, I think, uh, based on the timeline, had been, as she said, working on this story <laughs> for, for weeks. She'd gotten a, a access to these videos, was trying to verify them. And then just as she went to this former CEO, it appears that he then went to Nine Papers, who kind of rushed out a story that was a lot more sympathetic uh, to the grilled CEO kind of also implying that Markson had been working with the extortionists, something that I think she said was not true. Um, so we kind of had those last week. We said, well, here's the kind of two different accounts. One's much more sympathetic. One, in fact, claimed that um, the, the nine papers, one claimed that this had happened years and years ago and that, you know, he was being extorted. The other one, which is Shari's, didn't make that claim at all and, and suggests that actually it was the video was potentially taken mm-hmm. by himself. Well, we 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 said there's not enough knowledge for us to know here. We can't make sense of it based on what was happening. Yes. It turns out that Sherry Markson appears to have been on the money. And if anything, it was uh, nine papers trying to kind of scoop uh, a News Corp actually got caught out. She published a, a pretty nifty piece that was able to cross-reference the video, including a very um, a very obvious and unique looking light fixture with the house of the former CEO that he'd only bought in 2020, mm-hmm. kind of making it pretty clear through that and a few other um, bits and pieces that this was not a video that was filmed, uh, uh, you know, years in and years Singapore ago. Or in, in Singapore, right? yeah. yeah, at gunpoint by extortionists or something. But actually it was something that was filmed a lot more recently. Knowing that, it appears that this guy, in- including as well a PR um, a, a rep who was helping tell the story mm-hmm. uh, have misled news and uh, nine papers and uh they've kind of had to come out and say well no we were we we, we apologized uh so really you know uh they took the l on this and and shari is is undefeated in this regard yes so, sammy i'm kind of curious what do you think if something like this happens to you because this wasn't just a normal like almost like you know, uh, slightly different reporting. Like, you know, nine papers, it appears, really went out of their way to, you know, that they 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 heard from this guy. They wanted to kind of, you know, they rushed out this story before um, the Australian could get theirs out. And, you know, in their haste, they were unable to verify it to the extent that it appears that it was false. Do you think that you, something should have to happen to you if, if, if this happens to you? If you scoop someone, or you try to scoop someone and end up just being kind of embarrassed? Um, I mean, it's a little bit more than bias. It's also it calls into question certain professional um, ethics and and certain professional standards, right? Like, there's a you need to verify twice before publishing. Did they verify twice before publishing, or did they just go on Bainbridge's word against um, Markson's reporting? So, um, credit to Shay Markson for um, you know do, doubling down and, and doing the research to prove that her story was the accurate one. Um, nine obviously chipped the grand, and nine need to publish. An apology, and of course, the apologies out there. What's weird to me is last week, I, I my point had been that I call into question the the news value of um, mm. a man smoking crack in in his own home, whether or not he's um, you know a major business owner or not. Um, you know, I, I I don't think it has any bearing on the share price of of 
grilled or, or whatever. But like, that's my point, personal point of view on this. And so now we even see the stories become a snake eating its own tail. The story is about, you know, Chip Legrand versus Shai Markson, who's Channel 9 versus News Corp. It's all of those things. And the original thing of, you know, this man, is, was the original story newsworthy uh, beyond just a tabloid level element uh, is one that I think still is a question worth asking. I think it, this is very, very fascinating because I've kind of been on the side of, well, like whether he likes it or not, he's a pretty public figure being caught using drugs, particularly as Shari was trying to make in her original article, she made mm-hmm. the link that, you know, ice is, can be kind of related to, uh, you know, having irregular kind of or erratic behavior. So, I mean, but, but that aside, what's very interesting is his, uh, attempts to mislead nine papers to to lie to them and also the public mm-hmm. i think if you weren't already thinking that this was newsworthy i think the fabrication the lengths to which he went to cover it up then in itself make it newsworthy because him as a uh, former like he, he was grilled ceo but at the time he was also in this other ASX listed company as a director, him misleading the public in a way shows that he doesn't really have any credibility. So like, you know, even if he didn't think in the first place that he was, uh, that this was uh, kind of worth reporting on, that this should be just a private matter. Mm-hmm. I think the fact that it be- the process of reporting on it, which made him react in this way, to me, kind of removed any questions about whether it's newsworthy because it, it showed there was real questions and and things that should be in the public knowledge about his his honesty and his credibility. I think it also says something about the world we live in that the guy's, um, you know, cover story, which is that he was in Singapore and then someone drugged him and then they filmed him doing crack and then they, he woke up and they were extorting him was believable. <laughs> like, yeah, we now bizarre, live in a world where all of, well, we live in a world now where all of us are like, yeah, I can see that happening. It sounds plausible yeah, to me. Yeah. It's, that's pretty worrying. And there, there were, I mean, look, there's just, there are like little elements of the story which remain interesting, which is that, so so Chip Legrand, to his, his credit in the first place, did try to verify it and, and looked at certain things that, uh, you know, he I think he looked at the report done by a security uh, consultancy group on it. He also, I think, got um, a, a proof of like transactions that Bainbridge, who's the guy, um, had made when he was over in Southeast mm-hmm. Asia. And so you're now like, well, well, what are these like thousands of dollars of transactions that you've made? You claim were extortion attempts, but maybe not. Or maybe, look, you know, maybe there is like still some kind of, uh, maybe he was extorted. It's just an incredible story. But just kind of bring you back to it, you know, the funny thing that I think is now that's being lost in all this question about, well, is this newsworthy and, and whose reporting was right is also just even the like, still that ethics of like where did this video come from in the first place like who was who was giving this to a, to a journalist and and does that kind of lend credibility to actually there was someone um you know trying to extort in the first place i don't i don't know yeah so every election this kind of strange thing happens to news outlets that are supposed to be impartial supposed to be you know uh, non-partisan a lot of them decide just before an election to do a editorial endorsement of one of the parties to say, this is the, 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 the party or the group that we believe should be the one to lead mm-hmm. Australia after this election, which to me is kind of a, a bizarre thing because, you know, you've got these newspapers that are kind of supposed to be, well, you know, we're just reporting the news and yeah, we've got kind of opinion that's, that's separate to that, but also the whole publication, you know, together says, we all want this, uh, this person to, you know, be our next prime minister and these people to be our camera and that kind of thing. Well, Kind of looking into the history of that, um, we've got this chart that was put together by Travis Jordan, who um, is a, a Victorian kind of media and policy mm-hmm. professional, who who I believe works for um, state government, so probably actually can't really talk to us. But he, what he did was he published this big chart of all of the endorsements that have been made since 1996, looking at the different um, publications, the company that owns the publication, and who they uh, endorsed. Um, Sammy, I, I don't know. Do you have you like ever really paid much attention to these endorsements in the past? I've, it, look, it happens in American news as well, right? New York Times will endorse someone, and Washington Post endorse someone, and every newspaper does it. I've always found it ethically very problematic as in journalism, because how are you able to maintain your impartiality as an outlet if you are then quite obviously, 
you know, stating who's um, who you favor in in an election, and and it causes a problem because, for example, the New York Times uh, endorsed Hillary Clinton in the twenty sixteen election, and when Donald Trump won you can now make the argument that they will never be fair to Donald Trump in their journalism mm. because they publicly endorse another candidate. And when that happens in Australia, you can make the similar argument. If the age endorses Labour in the next election, and I'm not saying that they will, but if they do um, and coalition wins again, it, in the coalition, every politician can always call, up, uh, call out uh, the age's journalism as biased. And that's a valid criticism that you can make because they've given evidence of a bias. It goes against basic journalistic principles. So I've never felt comfortable about it. I really don't. I also don't know how much weight it carries with people. If you're who is literally going, oh, well, you know, the Herald Sun endorsed so-and-so candidate. I guess that's who I'm voting for. Um, I guess there are people out there, but they're clearly there are people out there who watch reality TV in Australia still. So I don't know. I'm not in tune with the zeitgeist, but um Overall, yes, I do find it extremely unjournalistic and, and, and something that I, it's an old tradition that really should have died out if journalism is to take itself seriously as being an impartial source. Yeah, I, I think that is very kind of interesting because you've got this, this contrast between do you want to be a, do you want to like be a leader or do you want to represent the kind of change that's happening? Like, do, do you want to put yourself out there and endorse mm-hmm. someone, even knowing that they might not win, but, but just by saying, you know what? This is who we think it is. And then in doing so, risk, um, you know, alienating yourself from different voters. Uh, Like in the the case of, funny you mentioned the New York Times. I remember in 2020, they endorsed people for the Democratic candidacy. And they took this weird step of endorsing two candidates, Amy Klobuchar and Elizabeth Warren, who both Mm -hmm. just like did not actually get anywhere near the Democratic nomination in the end, which is like bizarre choices. And everyone was like, wow, like I can't believe this. Like, you know, to me, like kind of, brings in question their kind of like judgment about who's going to win so yeah do you want to be that or do you want to be like this is the way we think we this is who we think is going to win but in doing so you're not really actually kind of saying anything you're just trying to like read the the tea leaves yeah it is bizarre who we, th- who we think will win is a different thing who we think will win is is a fair game you get analysts you get experts they make predictions based on all kinds of data and research etc that's a different thing but an endorsement which is what a lot of times this is what it is, is a very different beast because an endorsement is flying your flags, is is saying these, you know, these are the people that we back and we think should win. And that's where I think you kind of leave. I mean, th- look, there's all kinds of, you know, um, uh, academic debate about uh, uh, the ethics of, of uh, bi- non-biased journalism, the reality of non-biased journalism versus biased journalism, you know, impartiality in journalism, how realistic is that? But this, I've always felt, is an extremely obvious uh, salute to uh, a lack of impartiality in news media. And and I've, I've never felt comfortable with it, personally. Yeah, no, I, I, I understand that. Now, looking at this chart, it's it's color-coded, very, very well done. So thank mm-hmm. you to, to Travis, who's done a lot of work on this. It's got everything from, you know, the Australian, the AFR, all the way down to the Koori Mail, uh, the Saturday Paper, yeah. Daily Mail Australia, which, by the way, I didn't realize, used to be owned by nine up until 2016. Yeah. Uh, um, so quite a, it, this is um, exhaustive. The, I mean, the first thing that that's jumps out to me, and, and this is not going to surprise anyone, is just how often all of media companies, but particularly News Corp, have endorsed the coalition. Yes. Like, you know, it's it's bizarre. You get all the time this 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 meme that journalists are, are left leaning and the media is left leaning. Well, if you look at this, like I'm looking at the 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 blue and the red, blue for the coalition, red for Labor. It is almost entirely blue. Like the mm-hmm. AFR since 1996 has endorsed the coalition every single time. They're they're nine entertainment. Uh, the Australian has endorsed Labor in, t- in 2007, but every other time the coalition, Korea Mail, every time the coalition, oh no, except for in, in Labor in 2007 as well. That was uh, Kevin Rudd. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, it's it's really, really just across the board. You can actually see 2007, um, that change where there's that one year where mm. all, you know, News Corp largely endorses just Labor and you can see the benefits of Kevin Rudd bending the knee to Murdoch in that moment, you know, because it's right there plain to see. Totally. And, and, and this goes to actually what I was kind of mentioning before, which is that it wasn't like, you know, it's a real chicken the egg situation because, um, you know, it, like Kevin Rudd famously made the effort to try and court 
uh, News Corp that he also came across being like, I'm a, I'm a social progressive, but an economic conservative, which is an incredible thing for a, a left-leaning party uh, leader to say. Mm-hmm. And, and and also he was w- within, um, he was in reach of winning. So, you know, w- would they, with all these other publications, which every other time have endorsed, you know, the coalition, would they have endorsed Labor if he wasn't potentially or, or in fact known to be the, the front runner? I, I, I don't know, maybe not. Yeah, there's there is a lot. I I wish I was here in two thousand seven, honestly, because see, it sounds like it was one of the most interesting elections we've had in, in, in ever since. Even um, there's been the other aspect of this, which is how much of this is down to Labour not playing that game. Perhaps then, you know, if Kevin Rudd was able to do this in 2007, why wasn't Shorten able to do it in 2019? Mm. You know, what has Albanese reached out at all? Um, based on current evidence, I don't think so. But who knows? Like, is this worth it then? We know that this is the game, how the game's played. Um, is it worth playing the game then? I also think that if he hasn't, I don't know what, what he's done, but mm. I, I, I think there's an argument not to, at the very least, because, you know, this is just based off my gut feeling. I would imagine that even if these newspaper editorials have, um, you know, played a role in the past, you know, even if they have led... Um, public opinion, mm-hmm. I would say their influence is probably waning because if you think yes. about it, you know, fewer and fewer people are just getting their information from newspapers. So well, yeah, you know, and that's exactly what I mean. Like, you know, who is this for exactly? Because I can, I bet you, if Friendly Geordies, The Chaser Report, The Shovel, The Shot, and um, mm. Bituta Advocate came out with their endorsements for the next election, that will have more of an impact and influence on a, a larger group of Australians than um, any of these papers. Yeah, I, I, th- I think that's right. But then I guess there's also the question of like, you know, like elections aren't won uh particularly in Australia, but where we have compulsory voting, mm-hmm. they're not really won by firing up the base. Like if, so let me pick up, I mean, the AFR who obviously works towards a certain demographic and that has endorsed coalition every single yeah, time exactly. since 1996. I mean, maybe, maybe if they endorsed labor, that would kind of change things. But if they endorse the coalition again, it's not going to change any mind. So no. in that way, it's, I don't think that's actually substantial, if you know what I mean. Yeah, like, absolutely. They've got a macro. Yeah. They, 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 they press like function F4 and it prints out the entire yeah. endorsement article <laughs> that they wrote 35 years ago. Like, it, it, you know, there's nothing newsworthy here. Yeah, yeah. So it will be, it, I think it's one of those things where maybe it's worth just seeing if things do change. Mm-hmm. And also like, you know, remembering that elections are won um, in, you know, a surprisingly small number of seats in the end. Like I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, only a, a, a couple of seats end up like changing hands and that's enough to change government. So that doesn't, that means that, you know, like some of these publications and endorsements may be kind of irrelevant because, you know, but if you can like convince a few people in the center, just a few that might end up actually having a kind of outsized influence. I don't know. It's very hard to, to get a sense for it. Sammy, yeah, it, yeah. I was, I was just going to ask like, do you want to go out on a limb? Do you do you have a prediction about? Do you think we'll see more of the same this time? No, you, do it now. No, 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 are you asking for a prediction or are you asking for an endorsement? Because those are two separate questions. I can tell you who I think will win, and I think I can tell you who I think. Oh should yeah, win. I'm I'm I, I I'm asking for something even more meta than that. I'm asking you to. Uh, I want you to predict how if there will be anything interesting with endorsements this time. Like, do do you think that mm. we're seeing? Uh, uh, from the media a, a change that would suggest anything like it was in 20 in, in 2007 and 2010 where we had 50 and 60 percent of uh, editorials explicitly supporting progressives so that's the most during this time versus like you know 2016 where we had 93 percent of editorials supporting conservatives do you think that we're going to see a big change this time uh do you think that like for instance i know that we, we've seen that anthony albanese has actually been doing um despite you know maybe he hasn't gone and, and hung out with rupert murdoch he has been doing this press tour mm-hmm. you know he did a sit down a big sit down with the afr with women's weekly uh with 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 i think the daily telegraph as well do you think that's going to be enough to get him some editorials because he's playing the game um I think the numbers will largely be the same. And I think it's because um, 2016 changed a lot in terms of people's reliance on conventional wisdom and people's reliance on, on, on polling data, right? Because right now, conventional wisdom and polling data say Labour's going to win. 
But because they said that last time so much and Labour lost, now, you know, the, uh, anyone who thinks Labour is going to win still has it at the back of their head a little bit, that, or I could be 100% wrong again. And so you're going to see them hedging their bets. You're going to see um, anyone who would support Labour anyway is going to continue to support Labour. But, but News Corp, for example, I think will continue to come back to coalition um, against Labour winning because they, you know, they don't want to be stuck in that situation where they back Labour and it turns out the Labour loses again. Mm. No, I think that's right. And, and here's my prediction. that So we've seen pretty much over time um, the number of editorials that have explicitly supported one time or the other has kind of floated between roughly about 75 or 80% and and 90%. So you know people they a lot of them just really do end up taking a side. In 2019 it was just 16% sorry it was just sorry it was just uh mm-hmm. 70% and that was 55% of people supporting the government, 15% uh supporting uh progressives. I would not be surprised if we see the number uh, go down even further. And the reason is because I think to some extent, some of the, um, particularly like the News Corp properties, which are, um, you know, like they, I I think are actually in some regards are becoming slightly more explicitly Mm -hmm. like partisan. I think that they'll they'll be able to read the tea leaves. And so rather than endorsing someone like Labor, I imagine that they might um, uh, just say, you know, do a a kind of editorial that just says, you know, like we, we don't think we don't want to endorse this government. We think that they haven't done it right, but we also don't want to endorse Labor either. So, you know, we're endorsing the idea uh, of having good government. Coward, so, you know, kind of cop out like that. that. Yes. <laughs> the coward's way out. Meanwhile, and I think other public, and I think other publications as well will just be like, I think other people are questioning the 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 need for editorials as well. So that's my prediction. We will see less explicit endorsements. Who will Murdocracy be endorsing? I, I'm I'm waiting for the candidates yes. to call us. So you know, um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll keep an yes. eye on my inbox. And uh, when we have these sit downs, kind of like the I don't know if you saw the New York Times did this like incredible thing with the Democratic uh, candidates where they had them in for these big meetings. Usually, I think they, they'll often have meetings with a candidate who they'll ask questions. In this this time, they literally like filmed and produced it as like videos and and, and articles. That's kind of what I'm doing. So, you know, I'll keep an eye on my inbox to see uh, when, when, when Scomo or Albo want to have a sit down and, um, you know, we'll put the hard word on them and see how they Well, as they we know, I can be pressure. bought for a proper shelf. So, um, you know, whichever candidate <laughs> says be a good bookshelf, I'm in. I'm easy. <laughs> Okay, that is us for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, it's been, uh, I've had a great time. Uh, if you haven't already subscribed somehow, uh, you can find us just about everywhere. There are podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, and I really do encourage you to join our podcast group on Facebook at Murdocracy Podcasts. We, we're always dropping stuff there throughout mm-hmm. the week. Thank you to Kevin McLeod for the theme music, the ABC for the recordings from the archives, Ruby Innes for our artwork, And of course, a big thanks to you, Sammy. Thank you so much, Cam. 